0: Welcome to a new episode of Land-Grant Holy Land In Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, we are in conversation with the owner and editor-in-chief for both Awful Announcing and the comeback, Ben Koo. Not only is Ben one of the most plugged-in sports media analysts in the business, but he is also a diehard Ohio State fan, so bonus for both of us. In our conversation, we talk about last week's layoffs at ESPN, how college football pregame shows have dealt with COVID-19, the odd experience of watching a game with no fans in the crowd, and of course, the bizarrely controversial topic of declining sports ratings. All right, with all that out of the way, here's my conversation with Ben Koo. All right, Ben, there has been so much that's been going on in the sports media landscape lately, and it's kind of gotten pushed to the side a bit because of, like, bigger real-world things happening. But I wanted to start with something we learned about. I think it was on Friday of last week that ESPN went through another round of layoffs, and it, it I think it's 300 people this time. I don't think there were nearly as many big names as have been in the past, but from a college football perspective, Ivan Mazel was informed that while he was not let go, his contract would not be renewed when it expires in January. What can you tell us about what this round of layoffs looks like for the company in terms of what we as consumers will be seeing and what it means for the company on the back end because we know their parent company, Disney, has not been doing super well during the pandemic and obviously with multiple months of no sports, things were a little rough for ESPN for a while as well.
1: Yeah, this was kind of some unfortunate news. People had kind of heard about uh, what was going to occur maybe I think it was a month or two ago. So it's about 300 people, mostly behind the scenes. So you have a lot of kind of producers, uh, writers, editors, a lot of those folks. You also have uh, 200 people that they're not going to hire. They had uh, job openings listed for about 200 people that they say that they're not going to fill. So if you look at you know what a fully staffed ESPN would have looked like a few months ago it would have been those 300 people plus you know bringing in 200 extra people so it's a pretty big hit to espn and um you know a lot of it is the pandemic uh you know less sports uh, less advertising revenue i think uh, we joked on here a while ago that right when the pandemic started you could see that not only was it affecting espn in terms of just having games for you to watch but when you did watch ESPN, all of the ads were cheap ads for like, mm-hmm. you know, buy this flashlight, buy uh, this this uh, Razor, uh, call this number. It was all direct response ads. So that's a huge dent um, into the revenue. So they, they had to kind of do some course correction here. Uh, and some of that was kind of the strain on ESPN. But a lot of it is, is Disney. the The parks are, you know, some are open, some are closed. Uh, they're not releasing movies. It's just been kind of a nightmare for Disney. And um, ESPN decided to kind of, uh, you know, um, make, make some changes to lower, you know, the money that they were spending. In terms of how it's going to kind of affect viewers, I think the it's, it's a couple things. I think you're going to see, uh, you know, a dip in quality on, on some of the programming. Uh, you might not see that for games you're watching because they're going to want to keep uh you know the the production quality level pretty high there but you have seen a lot of sporting events move to remote uh production and in 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 a lot of circumstances remote announcing during the pandemic uh so you used to have like a truck of a producer director and you know sideline reporters and announcers and they've been moving away from that setup especially with the the production so you, you kind of lose a little something there. And when your announcers are not there, um, which is becoming more and more common, especially for college basketball, it wouldn't surprise me if Ohio State has a handful or more games of uh, basketball where their announcers are not there. You, know, you lose something in terms of what's going on with the stands, who the referees are talking to uh, during timeouts, and yeah. you know, what are the coaches lobbying them. So I think you're going to see, uh, unfortunately, a little bit downtick there. You're also seeing that they're putting less content on less channels. You know, uh, not too long ago, there used to be kind of new content on ESPN, ESPN News, ESPNU, and ESPN2. Now, those other channels outside of ESPN are often playing old games, replays of radio shows, replays of things that have been on Center and if you look at just the amount of kind of content they've put out on TV they really don't put out much content specific to those other channels anymore um, you know i'm i got my program guide up right now and i'm seeing first take which is a rerun uh, earlier from espn on espn news college field hockey's on espn i have no idea when when that game took place <laughs> and not then- recently i can tell you that not recently <laughs> exactly so you're just going to have less options. And, you know, I think digitally there, there's been big cuts there. Um, I think they're, they're kind of pulling back on the digital front. So you're going to have less content to to kind of read something I noticed a few weeks ago is that, uh, you know, when you used to click on a, uh, an Ohio state game, you would have like video highlights, you would have a stats tab uh, there. I think there were a couple other tabs and then you'd have like a recap, and those recaps are no longer there for NFL football and college football. So, really?
0: I hadn't noticed that yet.
1: Yeah. So the, the kind of like, oh, I missed, uh, or what happened in this game, you're going to have to kind of navigate to a different website because not all of the games uh, have recaps anymore. They, they've they decided you know to cut costs, and I think they were maybe using the AP's recaps. Um, so it's just you're getting less product, um, and that quality of that product is – is going downhill a little bit. Um, I don't think it'll be super noticeable, but um, I think, you know, for those with a keen eye, they will see that drop off.
0: And I would imagine for Ohio State games and Ohio State content that they will try to keep that level fairly high because, as I, I think we've talked about before, and I think everyone kind of understands, Ohio State is one of the few uh, programs that really drives eyeballs in terms of college sports. But if you're someone who likes watching, you know, Maxion on a Tuesday or, you know, Pac-12 after dark or whatever like that, those games might be where you see even increased pullbacks from, I mean, just what I would assume, because, yeah, they're interesting, but it's not drawing nearly the types of ratings that an Ohio State game would have.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you're exactly correct there. I think the, the Blue Bloods will, will not take this um, hit in terms of the quality of the broadcast as much as some of the other programs. But if you kind of look around, um, you know, the Big 12 now has college basketball on ESPN Plus um, and I think a little yeah. bit of football. And so, I, you know I, know, I don't think Ohio State fans, if we were playing, uh, let's say, Penn State in basketball, would like it if they had to figure out how to get ESPN Plus on their phones or their smart TVs and then pay $6 to watch those games. And meanwhile, yeah. there are schools, I think West Virginia played Kansas, and we did an article a while ago where we figured out that about a third of the fans in those states don't have access to the high-speed internet needed to, to stream that game. So wow. other, other fan bases are kind of being um, – you know, feeling this a lot more than we are. And I think that's going to continue to be the case, but I'm sure our day is going to come where some of our lesser basketball games that you're used to seeing on ESPN two or ESPN you or what have you are, are going to be on different services with announcers that are kind of, you know, maybe not at the game. And, um, you know, our, our day is coming, but for now for football, I think we're, we're always gonna kind of get that, uh, that premium treatment and, uh, You know, I I think that's what most Ohio State fans are probably tuned into.
0: Yeah, and I think on the basketball front, there are games that have already been like Big Ten Network Plus or whatever the hell that thing is, where you think, oh, I subscribe to Big Ten Network. I should be able to watch it online. But no, this is a separate tier on top of that, much like ESPN Plus is not something you just automatically get because you subscribe to ESPN via your cable system. So there's definitely been some of that with the Big Ten Network in terms of basketball. But Uh, It's a much different story when it's a football game and and, uh, you've got to try to figure it out for that. Or if you've got to do one of the Oklahoma things and pay 60 bucks to watch a football game. But that's a that's another story. And it sounds like you feel the same way I do. But that's neither here nor there. But sticking with the college football idea, we had the Pac-12 return to action this past weekend. And one of the things that it, it was significantly different uh, this year and this season, and I'm not 100 percent sure I can't put it in the timeline if this was something that happened specifically because of the pandemic or if this was something that was decided beforehand. But we had a Pac-12 game at noon Eastern time, which is if you're not good with the time zones, 9 a.m. Pacific time. First off, is that a huge thing for the PAC 12 in terms of revenue or is it just something they're trying to fill a void and, and did it work? I mean, did
1: people actually on the West coast care? So for, for context here, you know, I think it was about 10 years ago, Fox did not have any college football games and they started kind of nibbling into uh, college football on the media front by getting half the big 10 contract, half a big 12 contract, half a PAC 12 contract. But what they kind of found is that they did not have um, kind of fresh air, they didn't have a, a slot that they were able to dominate the ratings. CBS dominated three thirty with their game of the week. Yeah. Uh, ESPN with Herbstream and Fowler were were really kind of, you know, blown it up at you know usually seven thirty to eight Eastern. So a few years ago, Fox, uh, this is the second season said you know what this noon if no one's going to attack noon put their best stuff on at noon we're going to do it because the other networks aren't um you know they feel like this time slot um you know they don't want to put their best games and so we're just going to do it we're we're going to go ahead and do it the problem is is that with only half the big 10 rights and a lot of teams being in the central time zone in the big 10 yeah. And then the Big 12, a lot of the, almost all the teams being in, in the central or uh, mountain time zone, uh, you're you're make, you're trying to get a lot of schools to play at 11 and 10 a.m. And then with the Pac-12, it's 9 a.m., which is not great. So the Pac-12, because they're always from a ratings perspective behind all of the other Power <laughs> uh, 5 conferences.
0: They're ratings challenged, so to speak.
1: They're their ratings challenged, <laughs> and it's – just they're always kind of given the leftover games, which is Pac-12 after dark. Uh, you know, games that start at like 10 p.m. Eastern, when Ohio State fans are like passing out from the day, um, and they just cannot get a good foothold in terms of being out on front of other, uh, you know, a large college football audience at a good time slot, but also on a big channel like Fox or CBS or ABC. More people get those broadcast channels than the ESPN or FS1. Sure. So the play here was: can we get these guys to play at 9 a.m. and we'll give them that noon Eastern, but 9 a.m. local time? Uh, so there was upside here, uh, and Larry Scott kind of, you know, got people in line to do this, and it, it was on paper. This looked great because you were going to have the big noon kickoff show with, with Urban Meyer and Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush back at USC Stadium. You know, there's this interest on is Urban Meyer, could he go to USC? Leinart and Bush are back at USC. Uh, and that first part didn't work because there was some type of COVID outbreak. And so that, that whole scene didn't play out. Then I think three of the Pac-12 games this weekend were canceled, uh, unfortunately, or it might have been two. So that kind of took a little bit of the uh, luster out of this opening weekend. And then the 9 a.m. Pacific time game happens, but right before the elections called, So you have a ton of people tracking election coverage that morning. Uh, and even worse is that night they had the ABC slot. They had Herb Street, and Fowler uh, calling Stanford, US, uh, Stanford, Oregon. So you had, you know, USC on Fox. And then you had Oregon, Stanford, you, you have the best three programs like the last decade, let's say on broadcast TV with the best announcers, Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt, Herb Street, and Fowler. It's set up perfectly. And then Joe Biden speaks in the middle of the, the USC or uh, the, uh, Oregon Stanford game. So. And it's, it's, and it's up against
0: Clemson, Notre Dame at the same time too.
1: Exactly. So, uh, this on paper was was a pretty good plan, uh, and people kind of beat up on the Pac-12, but if you look at how it played out with the election, with COVID, with games getting canceled, uh, this was supposed to kind of be a big, we're still here, you should consider us for the playoff. Um, you know, we play good football out here. We're, we're excited to play on national TV, whether it's you know in the morning or at night. And it, it really went sideways in kind of a hilarious way. If you're someone who follows Pac-12 uh, sports media, where they're always kind of angling to to have some type of breakthrough, to have something that really helps them out, and it's just it, nothing's ever materialized. And it, you know, it almost feels like they're cursed in, in certain ways. And it was just kind of a a disaster yeah. of a scenario for them.
0: Yeah, this was a very Pac-12 kind of way for their return to roll out in terms of being on TV and not only that I mean Stanford's quarterback was out for covid protocols as well so they couldn't even get the best action in their prime time game because one of the one of the, one of the team's quarterbacks wasn't able to play so just a mess uh, yeah, all my, around uh,
1: my girlfriend uh she she used to work at Stanford she's a huge Stanford fan and she heard about that before it was announced through like a, a friend who's plugging into the football team. So she's like getting real excited. And, then, you know, we realized that her game is going to shift off oh. of ABC and we're probably going to watch, uh, you know, Joe Biden speak. And, and you know, and then, you know, they're, th- they're playing their backup quarterback. They, the star receivers out, it, it just was, you know, a, a rough go.
0: Yeah. Painful for all of the uh, Stanford and PAC 12 fans. At large. But one of the things you mentioned was the fact that the big noon uh, kickoff show didn't work out according to plan, because I guess at least everybody on the set was subject to some sort of covid protocol. I'm I don't think we've heard anything about anybody testing positive, but presumably maybe they were they were all in contact with somebody who did test positive. I don't think we've gotten any more details than that, have we?
1: No, they've been very tight-lipped, and Fox Sports PR is often very tight-lipped and sure. non, non-helpful in, in some ways. So, uh, yeah, they it was announced, I think, Wednesday or Thursday that they were going to be quarantining, um, and uh, it, we're, we're not exactly sure, but since all of them were quarantining, it, it seems like likely – one of the the core people to that show probably, you know, uh, got COVID or someone very close, like a lead, someone who floated in between all of them likely had it or one of them. It's hard to think it was someone just generally in the studio who worked at a camera 25 feet away. It seems likely it was someone very core to that operation.
0: So they're not the only pregame show that's had to deal with COVID, Desmond Howard over on College Game Day. Also, I think he actually tested positive and he had to be uh, a part of the show remotely. When you look at the way that these two shows um, did it, and I did not watch a ton of Big Noon kickoff on Saturday because, like you said, the election stuff was coming in at that time. So my attention was was split. But from what I understand, the original plan was to just let some of the NFL guys do it. But then they got. The actual big noon kickoff team to do things remotely. How, what is your opinion on how they handle the situation versus how college game day to a lesser degree, obviously handled their situation with Desmond and and, and not only just with COVID impacting their sets, but how they've impacted the production of those two shows uh, in general.
1: Yeah, so I had a screenshot like a month ago that got viral. <laughs> that was, I, I, I know what it is. Yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. So if you look at the college game day set, it's expanded. It's it's um, you know it's grown substantially because they're they're very well distanced. Um, they they have maybe six, eight, ten feet between them. Um, it, it's it's a weird looking shot when you look at it because, you know, there are small specs, you know, across the screen uh, and the Fox set because they they've added some people um, they're kind of in this tighter formation and they're indoors and, and game days outdoors. And my tweet at the time, it was, if you follow these people on Twitter, this is not surprising. And that's some shade at some of the Fox personalities who have been dismissive about COVID. And, uh, you know, there, there are some people on game day that kind of subscribe to that, uh, logic or, or, way of thinking, but a lot of those guys have been, you know, communicating more, um, precaution with, with COVID. So when the entire Fox crew who, you know, you can just kind of look at the shot or they're, they're packed in a little bit tighter, uh, or significantly tighter when it was kind of said that, uh, you know, they're sitting out this week, I, Kind of couldn't help but uh, I, I wouldn't say smile but you know it was, it was a bit of an I told you so um, you know with, with Desmond Howard being remote uh, I think they, I think college game day has worked in remote um, personality as well they've kept um, Corso involved in doing headgear picks, although that's a whole kind of story on on how much you know if it's getting a bit odd with, with, with Corso um, yeah. as he kind of gets up there in age, but they have kept them involved. Uh, I thought they did a good street with uh, a good job with, uh, with Desmond Howard. Um, you know, the big news they cut it down an hour, which makes sense because like, you know, you want Terry Bradshaw and Howie Long. Uh, I think they brought uh, Acho in to talk. So but, you know, there's no chemistry there. There's no history there. They brought in I think, some of the guys remotely. Uh, but I, I think for them, they were just trying to get through this week with, with a decent product um, and then hopefully kind of return to uh, what they're doing because they, they've been doing well. Um, I wrote an article last year, um, like out of a lot of attention, that they're, they're really kind of gunning for game day on a few fronts and strategically – they they really like going to uh, places where uh, they they sense that audience the the fans of those teams that they're at the venues that they're going to have some anti uh, anti ESPN <laughs> agenda or yeah. ESPN at the anti Ohio State Michigan whatever agenda and they've been kind of leaning into well if you you know it's it's like a Fox News strategy if if you're not happy with how this network uh, treats you you think there's some conspiracy against you, check us out. We're much more friendly to your point of view was essentially the basis of my article. And big noon, uh, the, the pregame show really leaned into that. I think Ohio state did not play on ESPN or ABC the last six or seven games, I want to say. And of the last like four or five before the playoff, big noon was at like three or four of those games. So, yeah. um, that's what they wanted to do with USC and uh, you know, when you have Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush, that helps kind of warm up people to your pregame show and your network. And you know, when uh, they have oh uh, Charles Woodson and Urban Meyer, that that's kind of uh they're trying to convert Pepsi drinkers into Coke or Coke drinkers into Pepsi drinkers is how <laughs> they kind of framed it. So yeah. uh,
0: and,
1: and the show's good. Like I
0: I I enjoy the big noon kickoff a little bit more because they do they do a blend of like the feel good personal interest stories that game day is known for, but they also throw in a lot of the stuff that urban does with breaking things down and explaining things. And for someone like me who is not necessarily a football X's and O's savant, like I, I learned something from their show. So, I mean, it's, it is a good show um, that is trying to do something that is substantively different than what game day is doing. I kind of just assumed it would be, Game Day Light when they announced it, but they are trying to do things not only in where they go, but in terms of the content that they put out that is different to a certain degree than what Game Day does.
1: No, I I have watched it too. I I kind of flip over during commercials and I I liked what I've seen. It's different. And I think they should, Fox should be given credit for, you know, getting good people on that show and having a good plan. And now they're kind of mobilizing the strategy of barnstorming. They're essentially campaigning their, their pregame show. And you're right. It it, it has been good. The chemistry has been good. I I don't think that many people will remember this, but when Fox initially got their first batch of college football rights, which I think was the pac 12, it could have been the big 12. They hired Aaron Andrews, you know, and they, and Aaron Andrews was doing, you know, the main uh, Musburger at Herb Street. She was the sideline reporter a big name. That was a huge get. And they gave her a pregame show and they kind of said, you know, this is, it wasn't in the mornings during game day. It was in the afternoon uh, or, or early evening, depending where you were. And they really were like huge on this, on this pregame show. And it ended up being a total disaster that lasted one season. The first thing that happened is it would air after uh, MLB baseball uh, and often these, game, these baseball games were going long or in extra innings. So yeah. the first two weeks, I think, that Aaron Andrews had this pregame show. And I think it was with Joey Harrington and our own Eddie George. They were like, you guys got to check out this show. And then it went so long, there was actually no pregame show whatsoever. Uh, so the first two weeks you went to tune in, it didn't happen. And then when it finally did happen, it was really rough. It got totally panned and they canceled it after a season. So that was a total disaster. They have a viable game day competitor, uh, and, and some people are going to prefer it more than game day. Some people don't, but the fact that there's a, an, a legitimate choice in you know for something so new it, it is a big win for Fox, and I know that they're very excited about it.
0: I, I was a big fan of Fox Sports Live when FS1 launched because it was different than SportsCenter. It, they didn't stick with that idea long enough uh, to do that. They, they morphed so quickly into just being a sports center knockoff that it's not no surprise that it only lasted like one season. But I'm all for, you know, different sports rights holders doing different things because it gives people options and give people choices. But um, real quick, I want to get into something that we've talked about on our podcast and a lot of people talked about on Twitter when I watched especially the NHL and NBA games um, when sports first started back up, there was a lot of discussion about how they were going to use this fake canned um, crowd noise. And I'll be honest with you, like, I barely noticed. Like, it felt so natural. It felt so real. It felt um, like we were watching a regular game. Fast forward to when Ohio State goes to play Penn State in Happy Valley, and we hear this just horribly – uh, executed crowd noise. It felt like it was always at one level, no matter what the play was. It was always delayed. And I'm not going to ask you to put the Penn State, you know, audio guy on blast or anything, but but how do I'll you do f- it? Okay. I'm, I'm happy uh, well, okay. to <laughs> okay, feel feel free to do that. But I just wondered in general, like how the presentation of sports in the COVID environment—whether that's without an audience or remotely or in a bubble—how do you feel like that's been handled? Like, do you think that the quality's been good? Have do you think the audiences have been there? Um, all that kind of stuff.
1: I think it's generally been good. You do have these misses where you know you have like Fox for baseball we're putting like these like people in the stands, like holograms of people that just look like super wonky and you have bad versions of of, of sound uh, at Penn state. I kept thinking, you know, it took me a while to retrain my brain during that Penn state game. I kept thinking like flags were getting thrown late. Cause like, Uh, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like something would happen. Like Penn state would run for like four yards and it would be something that a, a human crowd would not really cheer for and then there'd be like, yeah, and you'd be like, oh no, no, we hit someone late, or you know, <laughs> something happened, yeah. and you're waiting to see like the flag, the the yellow graphical flag thing on the screen, and then nothing happens. So, um, I, I think generally there's been probably more good than bad with futzing with the, you know, by by piping in noise or you know, even. The, uh, the cardboard cutouts and, and so on. I, I yeah. think there's been more good than bad. Uh, so as a whole, I, I lean towards experimenting has been good. I, there's bad implementations, bad executions of it. Um, and I, I wish that they would iterate on it. You know, I feel like uh, these. once you are live in front of millions of people, you get the feedback that you need to kind of improve things. Um, but I, I, generally think we've done what we've wanted, wanted, and it's just been the distraction of sports has been helpful. And yes, the, there are moments in games where you're unhappy with it, not feeling natural, but I think in more cases than not, the experimentation with, with, uh, noise and, and putting people in the crowds and, you know, I, I thought the NBA with the NBA playoffs in the bubble, um, with all the things that they were doing around the arena, it it looked lively. There was sound, there was lots of like video board things going on. Um, It didn't feel like a, you know, NBA finals with the crowd going nuts and chanting and and all that. But um, it's real weird when there's nothing, there's no sound at all, you know? Um, And uh, I, I, I think that, Generally speaking, what they've done to kind of make it feel more natural has achieved that.
0: Yeah, like I watched a lot of the NBA and NHL stuff, um, especially because when the Blue Jackets were in, uh, I actually stopped watching when the Blue Jackets were eliminated, but watched a lot of the Blue Jackets stuff, watched uh, most of the NBA playoffs, and it felt normal. The video stuff was great. I, I thought it's been handled really well. But that brings me to the last topic that I want to get in. And this one might be a little controversial, which I know doesn't bother you. You don't have an issue being controversial. But one of the big discussion points in the culture at large about sports, especially post return to play with COVID, but also post all of the social uh, upheaval around the George Floyd murder and all of the Black Lives Matter protests has been sports ratings um, and how people have said that that is some indication that athletes being outspoken about their social views turns viewers away. Um, I think you and I've actually talked in the past about how all ratings on all TV things, sports or otherwise, are declining rapidly. And this is no exception, especially when you are throwing all of the sports together at once in a time of year when they are not normally happening. Um, But I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on what we should take away from ratings declines, is it that do you think that people turning games off because of social stances has had an impact, or is it just because this is like the perfect shit storm of things to make it really hard to watch sports in general?
1: So I'll I'll say that of course there are people who are tuning out uh you know various sports because of, of stances that you know if it's taking a knee if it's wearing messages on your jerseys, on the back of your helmets, there are people, and I know some of these people, they're, they're on Twitter. They're they're a friend of mine or, you know, they're the neighbor of a friend or your neighbor. So they exist for sure. Like, you know, but when we look at the drop or increase in ratings or whatever, it's like the tiny, it's such a tiny percentage. And, this kind of narrative that's out there of go woke, go broke, which has been championed by a lot of people. Um, it, it's confirmation bias. It's you want these da- these data points to uh, validate how, how you feel. And the thing is that the ratings are down for, for everything. I have a little graphic in front of me. And I remember they said, the Preakness Stakes was down 56%. The Kentucky Derby was down 43%. Is that because the horses are, are pro Black Lives Matter? You know, like, yeah, yeah. You, like you know, there, uh, so many of these sports didn't take a stance and their ratings are down. Normal television ratings for like prime time uh, or, or just about everything are down 20%. People are watching the news for election coverage. Um people are using streaming services. The Stanley, you know, the NHL really didn't take much of a stance whatsoever. And I know you watch more NHL uh, than I do, and, and they took the biggest hit. The Stanley Cup Finals, I think, were down 61%. Uh, so things across the board took like a major hit. And for you to kind of cherry-pick the, the leagues or the teams or the games or whatever that you felt were like the most woke or the most pro protest or the, the the sport that took days off or you know boycotted games and they go look they're down this is what happens you're you're not seeing you're, you're you're putting blinders on and not looking at all at the the huge amount of evidence of where ratings are down for everything um essentially everything and it's not even just sports um it, it's broadcast tv and Everything except for you know uh, the news networks and, and general local news is getting just totally crushed, and you know you're that that's just a really kind of that that's the country we live in where you know you're building an argument with a very kind of limited scope of, of of what's going on, um, and and that's the reality. And yeah, of course there are some people some sliver of that ratings drop uh, for the NBA or, or whatever sport is potentially tied to that but um, you know it, it, if it was just that one variable then you wouldn't see it played out across the, the, the entire spectrum of, of content um, so it it's it's not it it's the it's 2020 it's the pandemic it's the fact that you have the NHL, the NBA, college football, and the NFL all occurring at the same time. Um, And people, you know, who would normally watch some games in the spring and some in the summer and in the fall are having to choose. It's that people would rather watch a debate on a Thursday night than Thursday night football. Um, You know, it's so many things. So uh, for, for listeners out there who are like, you know, really leaning into that. And every time they see a bad sports rating for some league that has gone too far with their stance, like you you need to, you need to be more of a mature adult and and get information (laughs) that is comprehensive to everything going on right now.
0: Do you think that there is any reason to assume that there's any possibility that ratings turn around when things get back to a regular schedule or are we just going to see a continued, uh, I don't know, downturn in ratings for sports. Like we have seen a general downturn in ratings across all uh, television networks, whether it's broadcast or cable.
1: I, I think there's a little hope of, of 2021 having some increases in some areas I think generally college football is pretty uh, stable. I think the NFL is stable, and you could see some lifts there. I think you're you're going to get an audience of people who have just been like watching. They've been main, uh, mainlining Fox News and CNN, uh, and now that we're out of an election year and potentially out of a pandemic, uh, you might see. I think you're going to see ratings increases next year, particularly because. We're not going to have this traffic jam of sports content that we've had in August, September, um, and October uh, of essentially all the sports. So I think year over year, we are going to see some increases uh, in 2021. Fingers crossed, things get a little bit back to normal. Uh, but I think in a five-year kind of a three or five-year kind of outlook, I think you're going to continue to see what we've seen in the last three or five years, where there's all these new streaming services, uh, HBO Max, Apple TV, CBS All Access. Uh, you know, you have all these new Amazon Prime and Netflix, obviously. They're nibbling into what people are watching. And um, that's, uh, that, that's a thing that you can't really fight if you're one of these main networks uh, on broadcast or cable. So I think it's going to continue to trend down a little bit. Um, but I think next year, just because this year was such a unique thing, I think we'll see a little bit of a correction.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of land grant Holy land in conversation. Also, thanks of course, to Ben Koo, you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Koo. That's B E N K O O. You can visit his sites at awfulannouncing.com and the comeback and on Twitter at awfulannouncing and at the comeback. If you're finding this episode on LandGrantHolyland.com, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are releasing a different podcast episode every day of the Ohio State football season with vastly different focuses and perspectives every single day. I guarantee you there will be no feed in the Ohio State podcasting universe quite like ours, for better or for worse. Also, don't forget to follow LandGrantHolyland on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.